Welcome to NSN Daily. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray. I'm Brian Samudio, Anthony Resnick directing us behind the scenes. Uh, some uh, Mountain West baseball to talk about. Uh, one of Nevada's pitchers honored for his performance uh, over the weekend against uh, the Rebels. Of course, Nevada playing uh, Arizona State today. So the, the tough schedule continues for Nevada. Um, basketball. Well, I want to start off with that, though, guys. Um, so we senior nights just don't look the same. You're supposed to be celebrating the careers of these young men and women. Uh, Chris, uh, your thoughts on how senior night's going to look and has looked across the country because you can't really honor anybody right now and the fans don't get a chance to say thank you. Yeah, and there aren't really any technical seniors because all these guys are allowed to come back or girls allowed to come back for another season next year. And I mean, for Nevada, it's very unique because they only have one senior on their roster and he's a, a walk-on, Zach Williams, locally from Galena High. So, um, you know, there's nobody to wave goodbye to, which I, I guess is the silver lining, a nice thing about not having fans out at senior night. Now, Nevada is going to stay with 100 fans for this game Friday against Colorado State with uh, some new rules by the governor. They could have asked for 25% capacity of their uh, fixed seating. So that would have been about 2,600 fans, but you had to jump through a lot of hoops to get through that. You had to have it approved by the Washoe uh, Health District and a number of other things. So Nevada's opted just to go with basically what they've done of late, which is have a, a hundred spectators, which is not a lot of people, obviously. They, they have had their band and their cheerleaders in there to add to the atmosphere a little bit, but definitely a different senior night than last year. I thought last year's senior night was really cool. I mean, obviously it wasn't a great uh, ending for Nevada because they came up close but lost to San Diego State, but just doing it after the game and allowing all of those players to give speeches to the uh, fans and their supporters and their teammates, I thought was a really cool thing. But again, this year, there wouldn't have been any seniors to do that other than Zach Williams if he's not coming back. So um, I guess that's a, a fortunate thing that, uh, you know, Nevada isn't losing any seniors that they would, uh, you know, not really get this kind of nice send off. But it definitely has been different. And, you know, for all these schools across the country, everyone's doing it a little bit differently, but nobody's packing arenas. Um, so, you know, maybe you have a thousand, two thousand fans at some of these uh, bigger places across the country. Alex, we did see at the Spectrum in Logan, Utah over the weekend that they had a good uh, fan contingency there. Are you disappointed at all that Nevada didn't try to get to the 2,600, the 25%? Or do, are you glad that they're like going up? We're going to stay as safe as possible and, and protect our people. Well, you know, I haven't talked to anyone, so I don't know if they haven't tried per se, but, you know, I know there's a lot of challenges in getting that done. And when we saw this earlier this year with the Reno Aces, you know, they were kind of ready to go at least with Reno 1868. I'm talking about that franchise that runs both teams. And they had a plan in place for Reno 1868. And it was initially shot down by the Reno Health District. And so there were a lot of hoops that you had to clear. And, and so, um, you know, whether they have tried or haven't tried, you know, we do know that it's, it's an extra challenge to get through the Health District. And it's just either way. I mean, the fact that it's possible that you could have 2,500 fans and, and that's not going to happen is, is too bad because it would be really great for fans to be able to see this team, you know, one time this year. And that would have been a big deal for a lot of people for them to have that opportunity. But, uh, you know, we'll stay with the status quo and, and uh, you know, have one more home game here. And it's, it's just crazy. The regular season's over. You know, this, this season has really flown by. And here we are, you know, talking about Mountain West Tournament you know, coming up uh, in less than a week, coming up Sunday, starting for the women. It's wild. Yeah, I, that's the thing, too. You make a great point there, Alex. I mean, I think we kind of sometimes as as people, just as people you now in a time of COVID, jump to a conclusion and go, oh, they're going to be about fans. And instantly, fans are in the stands. No, you've got to jump through so many hoops. And Reno 1868, as you said, was very vocal about saying, we want to have this amount of capacity. Nevada hasn't been like that. You haven't heard uh, Doug Newth or anybody in the, in, in the athletic department talk about, yes, we want to have fans and be 
they haven't been that vocal about it. So that, that that's a very good point. Uh, Chris, on the website today, NevadaSportsNet.com, you've got the scenarios of how both the men and the women can get that first round by and how important that is. And you know what? It's, it's a fun puzzle to put together at the end of the year because you kind of start putting together matchups and, okay, what, well, they look good against this team. They didn't look good against this team. You can kind of start piecing what could be a path to, uh, to the Mountain West title game. Yeah, I mean, for Nevada, it's pretty simple on the men's side. If they win Friday or if UNLV loses one of their last two games against San Diego State or Wyoming, Nevada gets that fifth seed. Uh, they can only be the fifth or the sixth seed. Getting swept by Utah State took away some of the scenarios where they can get a little bit higher. But, you know, 99% chance Nevada does get a first-round bye and is playing either Utah State or Boise State in that quarterfinal round. And obviously, from Nevada's perspective, I think you'd rather play a Boise State team that you swept rather than a Utah State team that just swept you. So, um, you know, there's there's still a few different things that could happen on the men's side, but the Wolfpack's pretty much locked into that bye. So, you know, coming off two losses, the Utah State, you know, this guy's not falling. Nevada still has the opportunity. Um, and it, it'll be real fun just to see if this team can bring its best at the Mountain West tournament. Because as I've said, I think Nevada can beat any team in the Mountain West. Whether they can beat three really good teams three nights in a row is a completely different challenge. But I don't think Nevada goes into this tournament thinking – you know, if we face off with so-and-so, we can't win that game. I mean, because you look at San Diego State, two close games. Utah State, one close game. Obviously, the second game didn't go well. Boise State, they swept them. And we'll see Colorado State this Friday, how Nevada matches up against a Rams team that might be the best in the conference. But there's no team that's, like, way clearly better than Nevada, and the Wolfpack has no chance of beating. So I think there should be optimism. And with Nevada doing some good work in the middle of its season with the sweeps of UNLV and Boise State, they put themselves in a really good position to get a bye. More than likely, UNLV loses to San Diego State tomorrow night, and then Nevada doesn't even have to worry about winning Friday night uh, to be able to secure that bye. Uh, Alex, Mount West Tournament, as you said, starts on Sunday for the women. Shannon Kelly going to be traveling to her hometown to, uh, to start our coverage. You will be joining her and, and bringing a little backup uh, later on when the men start. Um, what's it going to be like covering this tournament? I, I will be very transparent. It's not easy for us to cover the Mountain West Tournament because we can't have cameras on the sidelines in the first place. We don't have the rights to those games. But how different is it going to be when it comes to talking to the Mountain West and what you're going to be able to do? Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But to piggyback with the, the whole seating thing for the women, uh, all they have to do is win one of their final two games and they get a first round bye. So I don't want to forget about them. And so they may not even be playing Sunday, which will be huge for them to get uh, in the top five. And what a great finish that would be for Amanda Levins and company. So hopefully they're starting their tournament on Monday. But yeah, it's going to be different. Um, you know, honestly, it doesn't really change a whole lot for us other than the fact that we probably won't be able to talk to anyone face to face in terms of like a press conference. You know, it's just all going to be on Zoom, you know, like it's been all year. So that's really the biggest change. And like you said, we don't really get to shoot or do anything, any, anything like that anyways. Um, but the biggest difference is just not not being around fans. You know, and that's just the continuation of this whole thing. Like I was talking to somebody about the NCAA tournament and it's just what a weird year. It's like you go to the NCAA tournament, you're not going to play in front of 50,000 people. You know, if you're playing in the final four, you know, you're not going to get to ch get a chance to play. Uh, in, in a first round game that's just completely sold out and has uh, this insane atmosphere. And, and that's what makes March Madness so much fun is it, just that that atmosphere as well that's brought by having a crowd there. So that is going to be a strange thing, being at a championship uh, level thing. You know, I was, I was watching highlights back there, showing them on the on the CBS Sports Network broadcast or the FS1, whichever one it was. They were showing Utah State playing last year in March. And it, it just made me think, it was like, wow, it was like that was pretty much the last time you know, that that happened, you know, in basketball and in and, and, and college basketball. So um, it, it's it's crazy that we're a year uh, removed 
from that. I remember coming back from the Mountain West tournament last year, and it was that following week, and, and the NBA shut down on that Thursday. And it's just uh, the, the fact that we're now a year into this whole thing is just so hard to believe. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of all coming full circle by heading back to Vegas and, and going to now a, a fanless uh, Mountain West tournament. I hope that people, and I think that they will, um, embrace the environment even more so when, when we're back, whether or not, whether or not you love going to a baseball game and having a hot dog and drinking a beer and hanging out and talking baseball with people or going to a basketball game as a Nevada fan at the Thomas and Mac and seeing the Wyoming section, the Utah state fan section, hearing the different bands play their, play their fight songs and that sort of thing. I think we're going to embrace it so much more once this is over, Chris, because you know, it, we just, as a society, we haven't had this something like this taken away from us. I mean, it hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. There's obviously an economic impact on people and maybe people don't have the disposable funds to go out to games. I think you'll still have a certain group of people who just don't want to be in crowds for the first year or two once we do get kind of clearance to go back to quote unquote normal. So, um, you know, will people be filling up the stands at Mackey Stadium? Will Mackey Stadium even be to full capacity next year? There are going to be a lot of questions that need to be answered between now and uh, before we get to kind of the, the sports that robustly are supported by the Northern Nevada community. Obviously, Nevada football looks like it's going to have a dynamite my team next year will you see a 27,000 people in the crowd selling that place out will you see an impact economically and maybe just mentally from people not necessarily wanting to go hang out with big crowds um you know but I do think that I agree with your point that there's going to want to be a lot of people out there who just go out and have some fellowship just be around people their friends people in the community maybe people they haven't seen for an entire year and a half because of what we've gone through that they've only seen via zoom like literally I have not seen Brian or Alex even though we talk every single day in person in over a year. So I do think that there's going to be that urge to want to get back to normal and go out and support your teams that you love and see people out at Mackey Stadium and Lawler Event Center. But there is that kind of that other side of just will people be able to necessarily afford it? And will they have the, um, I, I wouldn't say courage, but just maybe the feeling that, okay, I can go out there and be safe and I don't have to worry about potentially getting COVID or anything like that. So, uh, you know, hopefully we are by the time we ramp up for football again next year uh, in a place where everybody does feel comfortable and we're uh, all allowed to go out and we're all vaccinated. But, you know, I, I don't think people thought it was going to last a year. So hopefully it doesn't drag on too long, but I wouldn't completely rule out that we're still dealing with some restrictions when we get to next August. Alex, I think it's about comfort level, isn't it? About, you know, and I think people need to feel comfortable with their comfort level if, and, and be able to go, you know, it's okay if you don't feel like going out and being in a, in a crowd. I mean, I'm sure anybody who knows us, knows our team, knows how big of a social person the big honey is. Alex is attracted to crowds. Crowds are attracted to Alex. Um, it's not, it, his personality is what you see on TV. That's it. And I'm sure the first time you get to sit behind that table at Greater Nevada Field, smell the fresh cut grass, this brand new ballpark, Alex, I see the smirk, man. I see you kind of going, that's going to be so good to smell the hot dogs and just to hear batting practice and be back there. Yeah, it's going to be great getting baseball. And there is going to be a small amount of fans there. And they do have plans in place to have those fans at Greater Nevada Field. That's going to be cool. It was cool doing a game with soccer. And, you know, when they did get into the postseason, we did have some fans out there, but yeah, I mean, the, the idea of, of being in a, a ballpark or an arena or a concert with 10,000 people, uh, it's crazy. And it's going to be crazy to have that happen again. And, and um, you know, I wouldn't shy away from it, especially if I get vaccinated and, and have the opportunity to do that. And, and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do that here in the next couple of months. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is that kind of camaraderie and that excitement and just being in a crowd, you know, it's like, I think that's 
you know, I think people have for the most part been able to at least see some people, right? It's like you're, you have a kind of select group of people you see, or some people are, are, are more comfortable and have been going out and doing things. But, you know, the idea of being in a crowded environment, you know, that's something no one has experienced uh, in, in the last year. And so the first time that that happens and, and we'll talk about it later in our show about what Alabama plans to do, but, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, maybe we are on the horizon of that here in the next six months, at least in parts of our country, that we may actually see that come to fruition. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, it's a weekly award that uh, University of Nevada has uh, received a number of times. This time it's Owen Sharts getting pitcher of the week. What is his draft potential? What do we think the ceiling is? We're going to get into that next. Mount West Conference, of course, every single week they name a an offensive player of the week for football, defense, special teams, of course, as a pitcher and player of the week when it comes to baseball and softball. And uh, this time around, Owen Schartz uh, picks up the honor for the pitcher of the week. Six innings thrown, two hits allowed against UNLV. Um, Alex, the word we use when it comes to Schartz's arm is electric. I don't know what the exact quote is from Bull Durham is that uh, God reached down and turned your right arm into a thunderbolt or something like that. That's what Schartz has. Yeah, he's been fun to watch, and I can't wait to see him actually pitch in person this year, and we'll get a chance to do that in a couple of weeks when uh, Fresno State uh, comes to the first series at Don Weirfield at Pacoli Park. But, you know, this is somebody that's been uh, – that's uh, you know, we've been really excited about since he came to campus. You know, he was highly touted coming out of high school. He was drafted out of high school in the 32nd round, and I imagine he's going to go much higher uh, than that uh, in, in this year's draft, and he's already – you know, showing his stuff. The one issue he's having so far is with his command. He has walked 11 guys uh, in his first two starts, but he didn't give up a single hit uh, in that performance against Cal Poly and then followed that up with a really impressive performance again uh, down against UNLV and a, a game where really Nevada needed him to, to pitch like an ace and he absolutely did. So uh, definitely a bright future. You know, he's got a big long arm. He's six foot two. He's got the size, you know, that you want to see, uh, see on the mounds. And uh, now can he can he put it all together? He's, he's had an electric fastball for a long time. And, and, you know, he's been had a chance to work on a lot of other different things. And, and I'm really excited to see, you know, what, what this season brings for him. Chris, it's been exciting to see his development and, and we'll get into it a little bit here in a second about how COVID has really, really set back some of these guys because they need the innings. You get a Jake Jackson, a guy like Owen Schartz. Um, just your thoughts on his development and let's get into draft potential. Where do you think he, uh, he could end up going? Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who has a ton of potential, as you mentioned. He was a top 150-ish prospect coming out of high school, but decided to go to Nevada to try and boost his stock. And so far, it's largely been potential. I mean, his first season, a 5.96 ERA. Last year, a 4.91 ERA. So I think if you're a scout, you're saying, okay, let's see that potential turn into you dominating college players. And I think he was there last year. He struck out 32 guys in 22 innings. Now, the ERA wasn't great, but you look at the peripheral numbers, and you could see he made a big jump last year. And now you look at this year, and it's continuing. A 0.90 ERA this year, only two hits allowed in 10 innings. 14 strikeouts, as Alex mentioned, the walks a little bit of a concern, but he's starting to turn into that dominant pitcher that you want to see before using a second, third, fourth round draft pick on somebody. Uh, Alex mentions the height and the build. Uh, that's great. I mean, this is a guy who's six foot two ish. So, uh, you know, he's not a small guy. He's throwing in the lower nineties. He has a very good change up. The curveball is developing. I think if he goes out there and he pitches as dominantly as he has in these first two starts, this is a guy who could be a top 100 draft pick. 
the problem is, is he hadn't done that the last couple of years when he was being widely scouted and scouts are not going to be around quite as much because of COVID this year. The whole situation is very, very different. I think he can definitely turn himself into a top three or four round draft pick if he pitches really well this season. But certainly the way he pitched that freshman year and a little bit last year before things were shut down, you know, maybe pushed him back a little bit on draft radars, but he's, he's certainly a guy who's going to be drafted, whether it's a lucrative enough to give up two potential more years at Nevada, we will see, um, you know, the, the minor league uh, system is obviously being truncated, which means less draft picks at the major league level. But this is certainly a guy who maybe doesn't uh, live up to the Braden Shipley draft price because he was the 15th pick in the draft. But if he continues to pitch well, I could see him being a top 100 pick for sure. Alex, where do you see him when it comes to his, his ceiling? Uh, and does he remind you of anybody? Chris, I'll get, I'll get your input on that uh, in a moment. Uh, where do you think there when it comes to potential? And does he remind you of anybody you've seen throw? When I think the fact that he was in that top 150 players in the country kind of list, I think that doesn't really go away. You know what I mean? Like once you're on that radar, when it comes to scouts, like you're in the system, right? Like guys are going to keep track of you. So I think, you know, the name is out there and there are a lot of teams that know who he is. And so even though, you know, he won't get scouted as much in person, you know, the name recognition is there with a lot of scouts. And so I think there will be some people following him around for sure. As far as who he reminds me of, it's such a, t- it's such a tough one. I haven't seen him pitch in so long. I mean, I, yeah. honestly, I don't think we even got to see him pitch last year now that I think about it because of everything how the, the season got shut down so quickly and almost all the games for Nevada were played on the road and they've been on the road so far this year. So I'm excited just to see him pitch in person to see, you know, what's different about him than what we saw two years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so what I saw two years ago, I'm not sure who I could compare him to, but I'm excited to see him this year and, and kind of see, all right, what, it, what is a 20 year olds, you know, whatever he is, 21 year old Owen charts look like compared to when we saw him pitch when he was 18. Yeah. And, and in what you look at the numbers that Chris threw out there, he's not doing it against cupcake state. He did it against Cal Poly and he did it against UNLV two teams that are, that are possibly NCAA tournament teams. But uh, yeah, Chris, we see the development of the physical development of the college athlete. You, it's so funny to come back after not seeing them maybe from May until springtime. And suddenly you're like, whoa, somebody grew shoulders. You know, I remember seeing Braden Shipley his junior year. And I'm like, dude, who's been feeding this guy? You know, but uh, does he remind you of anybody, Chris? I mean, you can go Daryl Rasner. I mean, going back to the early 2000s, he was the 46th pick of the 2002 draft. I think the difference with Daryl is Daryl was like this workhorse. He threw at least 100 innings in all three of his seasons. So I think major league teams could buy into, okay, this guy is a starter for us at the next level. I think Owen has better swing and miss stuff. And that's a really big deal in baseball nowadays. Like you can put up a nice ERA and a nice whip, but if you're not getting guys to swing and miss, if you're not striking guys out at the college level, you're not going to strike guys out when you get to the minor leagues. And Owen has that, like he strikes out about 1.3 batters per inning, which is a great figure. So if that continues, um, you know, he could put himself in that class where Daryl was. I I think they're very similar in size. They both have three quality pitches. They both throw in the mid uh, nineties coming out of uh, college. I think the biggest thing for Daryl was that he was able to establish himself and have three good seasons. And given the COVID issue, Owen wasn't ready to, he, he probably would have had a breakout season last year. He was still named all conference. He just wasn't able to do that over a hundred innings where scouts could really buy in. I mean, hundred percent agree with Alex that once you are on that radar, once scouts have notes on you coming out of high school, those notes don't go away. They just want to see that production. And if Owen gives that production this year, like it looks like he's going to do, this is probably his last year at Nevada. I mean, Josh Samore is probably going to get drafted too, but 
To me, Owen is the best draft prospect on Nevada's team, and he's living up to the hype that he came with really over the last two years. Now let's just see it over a full season, which I'll have the opportunity to do this year. Yeah, going back to Raz, unfortunately, we haven't been able to really talk with a lot of these kids. Razzer was a bulldog. That was Razzer's thing, too, is that he had great stuff. It wasn't the big swing and miss stuff, but he had, he had major league stuff, obviously. But he had a mental thing that, that you, were, you were intimidated. He intimidated hitters. Uh, how much do you think COVID, guys, before we go to break, has affected the two guys that really we've spoken about in the last 12 months when it comes to pitching for Nevada, Jake Jackson and Owen Schartz, really having that kind of taken away from him, these young arms that Alex literally, they need innings. Yeah, I mean, and, and you forget about not only the college season, but think about the development time that they could have gotten playing in summer bat leagues and stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know what I mean? That's where you can get even more exposure and more innings. And so, yeah, it, it definitely is tough. I mean, on, on one hand, I suppose it's good because maybe you're not burning a guy that some guys get burnt in college, but I think you'd rather take the opportunity to face more hitters and get more experience and face more players. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, it's cut a lot of people's development time. It's not just those two guys. I mean, it's, it's across the board in all of sports. You know what I mean? Like there are, there are a lot of athletes right now in every sport that are not getting quite the opportunity at the high school level and at the college level to showcase their skills. Like they were able to pre COVID. I mean, there's no question that this is a much different climate to try and showcase and, and the, the, the limited amount of time that you have to do it um, is definitely a new challenge that nobody was really expecting they'd have to deal with. Yeah, these young men and women, Chris, aren't being just challenged physically. They are really being challenged mentally uh, as much, if, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, you look at Owen in particular. This is a guy who went to the Cape Cod League after his freshman season. That's the best summer league in the entire nation. And that's where you can really improve your stock. Now, last year he did throw down in Southern California. We had him on the show over the summer. But that's not the Cape Cod League where you're going against future pros with a scout from every MLB team at every one of your games. So, uh, you know, that is a difficulty that he had to go through, but I, I still think this is a guy who's still a premium talent and premium talents will go high in the draft. You saw Grant Ford go uh, with the Pirates five, uh, fifth round a couple of years ago. And to me, Owen came in with a lot more pedigree, a lot more promotion behind him. And if he has the season that Grant had, Grant was pitching out of the bullpen, which is a little bit easier than trying to start. Um, you know, this is a guy who's still going to be a really high pick. He's still probably going to make six figures after this year and make a difficult decision whether he wants to turn pro or not. Let's just hope that he's able to get through this season healthy because with pitchers, you never know with these guys. <laughs> uh, you know, you could have perfect mechanics and things could go wrong. But Owen has everything a team would want, including that personality. Like this is a great kid who TJ Bruce talks so highly mm -hmm. Um, you know, he had a rough freshman year. He didn't blame anybody else. He didn't say, well, I should have taken the money and gone pro. He said, I need to get better. I need to be a better pitcher. Um, it's on me to do that. And I think hiring Troy Buckley, the Long Beach State head coach and a pitching guru last year will really help his improvement this year as well in his development. But he needs to throw innings. It's one thing to go and throw bullpens. He needs to go throw innings in games, as you mentioned. And he's going to hopefully have the chance to do that this year and prove that he's one of the better pitchers on the West Coast. Cape Cod League, that is one of my bucket list items, is to go up to Cape and, and catch some games in that wood bat league. Uh, if you're looking for a cheesy baseball movie, Summer Catch. Freddie Prince Jr., Jessica Biel, it's about the Cape League. Go chat a maze. We'll have much more coming up here on NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Uh, joining us now on the show, uh, Bishop Oak High School graduate, former uh, college and professional goalkeeper, 
Sean Beaker uh, joining us here on the show. Uh, Sean, we'll get to, uh, there's a lot to talk to you about because your journey over the last, you know, since uh, you left Reno and have come back to Reno has, has been uh, outstanding. Alex, you know, you usually have the best hair on this show. <laughs> I mean, right now, Sean, Sean does have you beat. Um, and I, I have a picture that we're going to put up of, of Sean when he was at, uh, at Cal State Fullerton. And the mascot of, of Fullerton, they are the Titans. And only a Titan can wear this flow. Uh, Sean, uh, how did you manage that, man? Keep it out of your face when you're trying to block a soccer ball. Um, I, I, lots of, lots of hair product. I don't know. I think I was just a little too poor to afford a haircut. So thankfully it turned out all right. <laughs> I, th I think we might need to get uh, a hair showdown like Quentin Conaway, former Nevada punter. Yep. He had like the long blonde hair, you know, you got kind of like the wavy <laughs> hair going. Like, I, I mean, like top five athletes with hair in, in Northern Nevada. I think like you and Quentin have to be right up there. Yeah, you know, I watched Quentin quite a bit, and I would always um, joke with my, my dad and my brother, and I'd always say, you know, that, that kid's a first-team all-flow. He's got some good hair on him. <laughs> it, it would be tough to beat Brock Hacking's mullet. I mean, you yeah, got to go back true. to the mullet. And, oh, and honestly, Brock's the nicest guy in the world. You wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley if you didn't know him. But uh, No way. <laughs> I, Sean, tell me about just growing up in northern Nevada. I mean, you, you went to Bishop and Oak. Uh, your brother was a professional diver. I mean, you go through your history. I mean, talk about just an athletic family. Well, it was my, my dad. My dad was a um, two-time All-American out at Southern Methodist at SMU. Gotcha. And yeah, he, um, I learned a lot about through my dad and kind of just his journey um, up to the Olympic trials. And he's always been just a good mentor for me um, really to not just like on the physical side and telling me what, you know, I need to sacrifice, but the mental side has been arguably more important. So he's always been a great role model. Um, but yeah, I, I growing up here in, in Northern Nevada, um, playing soccer at Minogue, um, you know, I, and having the, the luck to come back and continue playing my dream here at, in Reno with 1868 and a perfect timing. I graduated in summer 17, with, which was the inaugural season for Reno 1868. So I, didn't really skip a beat. I got to pick up right where I left off and, and jump into something that I was really happy to be a part of. Yeah, I got to give credit to dad. I, 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 I misspoke. I meant to say father. It's Patrick, your dad, that was the professional diver. Sorry, brother Matthew, uh, but it was. Dad. Oh, he, he would, he'll run with it. Don't worry. Oh. He's fine. <laughs> Our siblings always do. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, uh, you've got a, a, a camp coming up here for goalkeepers. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I want to talk about your experience with Reno 1868. You touched on it a little bit, but what was it like just being part of that and, and being part of professional soccer, coming to downtown Reno and, and, and playing with that group that was just so talented and, and, and just an amazing um, group of guys, you know, to play soccer with? Yeah, you know, like I said, um, being able to just jump right into that group of guys, and I can't be, I can't talk about that enough, just how special that group was. I think it's unusual to have, um, you know, an inaugural season, first team ever, and have just that special of a group. Everyone just bought in. Um, they got along well. And not only that, we competed at the highest level. I and mean, we were breaking records the first year. And then the second year, even more so. And the third year, you know, we just kept winning. And I think that was really special. And, and it, I think it derives from the mindset and the attitude and just the camaraderie that we were able to put out on the field. I, I couldn't have gotten any luckier.
to be honest. And to do it at home in front of friends and family and come full circle, it was, it was special. It was very special. Sean, we got the bad news uh, this during COVID that uh, Reno 1868 was going to have to shutter. They were going to have to fold. Uh, I mean, it broke our hearts because we really fell in love with this franchise and the people, and you really got to know the players so well. I mean, for crying out loud, one of their stars won our inaugural uh, NSN beer pong tournament virtually. Uh, what When you heard that news, it really probably had to just, just be heartbreaking. Yeah, I was gutted. I was gutted just because, you know, I, I had – I wasn't part of the team in that in that final year, but I still had some some good friends that had been around since the first season. You know, Brent Richards, great friend of mine, Thomas Jinjigian. I was still very close with a lot of those guys, and you know, I I just really felt for them um, because as Brent and I would talk, you know, Northern Nevada started to become a, a special place to him, to them. It became home, and I I think he would have loved to continue his career and maybe even end up retiring here. Um, you know, and especially with the success that we had, you know, we, it, it, it was just tough. It was tough to see it go, but you know, COVID has, has broken a lot of people and other things as well. So, you know, it's a shame. It was a bummer. How cool is it just to see the way that soccer, you know, see it take over like that and see seven, 8,000 people in the stands and really see professional soccer put on such a big stage uh, right here in your hometown. You know, it was, it was awesome because growing up here year and year, I saw soccer develop more and more so. And I just wish that when I was a kid growing up, I could have saw the professional athletes, um, you know, in front of me, I could have got excited about it. And I think it just did wonders. Kids started to say like, oh, that could be me. That's a way I can do this. And, and I, I, I guess I'm just jealous of the kids that got to see it. And I wish it was still around, um, but it did wonders for the community. It got camps, it got people in the stands, um, and they got to watch watch them win. You know that that was fantastic. It, it did wonders for the community. I think. Former college and pro uh, goalkeeper uh, Sean Beaker joining us right now, a graduate of Bishop and Oak High School, and uh, Sean. So many athletes go through the transition of the realization that the career is over. And you kind of have to go out and get a real job, as people sometimes say. <laughs> we were we were talking before uh, before we started taping this segment about how you, you got into finance, moved to Sacramento, now back in Reno. How has the transition uh, to kind of the real world been for you? Um, you know, I, I miss being outside, um, but you know, just just like in in soccer, I've met a lot of great people, um, and I'm thankful for it. And it's. It's just it's it's been all right. I've been all right doing it. Um, been successful. I guess I can say sitting down all day has hurt my body worse than hitting the ground a hundred times as a goalkeeper. Yep. Didn't think that would happen, but it's it's happening. <laughs> but you know, it, it's been a smooth transition, and and I'm very fortunate. And again, in times of COVID, couldn't gotten any luckier. So, Sean, you guys are putting together a camp uh, in March. It's going to be at Golden Eagle, and a, an opportunity you know, for young goalkeepers here in Northern Nevada to get some really uh, top-notch instruction. Uh, tell us about the camp, why you wanted to put it together, and just how excited you are to get an opportunity to help kind of mold the next kind of generation of, of local goalkeepers. Yeah, I, I am so excited, to, to be honest, um, because growing up here in Reno, um, I was very lucky. I had a couple of great goalkeeper coaches coming through the city, and especially connection with UNR. Um, but, you know, with the way staff turnover happens, 
they move on to next schools and and for kids like myself thinking like well I know how important each rep is and every training opportunity and those gaps in between uh, created some of their own problems. Um, so I miss that mentorship, that consistency and that quality. And, um, you know, since I've come back here and, and done playing, I coach a lot <clears throat> and I see kind of the same thing. Uh, parents always ask me, how do we get more? What can we do? Um, and so I, I'm fortunate enough that my friends Chris Sharp and Brandon Bumpus out in Colorado with Core Soccer Academy, they've been doing this for years and they've built this curriculum that has produced um, NCAA champions, professional players, and even national team players. And, you know, me just catching out with them, just checking in, seeing how they're doing with COVID. Um, they were doing all right. And they asked what I was doing. And I said, you know, I'm trying to, to get more kids involved to offer them what I felt like sometimes I didn't have at their age. And they said, well, you know, why don't we try and move this out here? You know, give these kids something. Um, and I said, I didn't even think about it. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Um, and, you know, you know, getting around the obstacles of COVID is always a problem, but we've got a plan together and everything will be safe, healthy for everybody. And, you know, I can attest that it's no fun to have a ball kicked at your face from six feet away. So people will be spread <laughs> out. It'll be all right. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I just hope this will be the first step of offering kids quality and consistent training where they don't have to, you know, be a part of specific clubs in order to get the training. I'm strictly a, a third party supplemental training that that's going to help everyone get better if they want. It. You have to have a different type of mentality to put the gloves on <laughs> and stand between the posts. I went to high school with a, a good friend of mine who ended up playing collegiately and he was a unique personality. Went to college with a guy who had, had to retire because of an ACL injury, who was a former college goalkeeper. Yeah, it's it's a different sort of personality because you're on such an island. Um, hockey goal is kind of the same sort of mentality. How do people sign up for this? Uh, Sean, how do, how do we get people locked in on this? Yeah, if you go to coursesoccericademy.com, um, it'll be right in front of you, goalkeeper programs, and you'll see it scroll down at the bottom. You'll see first annual Reno goalkeeping camp. Um, you click the link and all the information is there. You know, what we're going to do is uh, offer three one-hour training sessions, all ages and abilities. So we'll start from seven to 11-year-olds, 11-year-olds to 14-year-olds, and 14-year-olds to college level. You know, we'll break it up into those hour-long sessions so we don't have a tremendous crowd. So everyone gets the individual attention that um, they deserve and we can make it competitive and fun. It's going to be March 24th through the 26th out at Golden Eagle. Hopefully the weather's good and you can get a good, good turnout. And anytime you can get that one-on-one -on -one coaching from people that have been there, it, it is absolutely priceless. Sean, we appreciate the time, man. Great catching up with you and the flow still looks spectacular. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I appreciate you guys' time. Thank you so much for having me on here. I hope, I hope your dad's got a good set of hair. Oh, wait, wait, it's supposed to be your mother's father. Is that how it goes? Because enjoy it while you got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should see my dad right now. He's second team all flow. I'll tell you that. He second looks good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. John, thanks very much. We appreciate the time. No problem. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. We'll have much more coming up on NSN Daily right after this. You know, journalists, we try and do our diligence when it comes to being accurate, being right before being first. It's, and, you know, unfortunately right now, sometimes that's not happening in, in journalism, but you find it in mainstream stuff. We at NSN on this level 
try and be as accurate and respectful as you possibly can. But when you can report the story yourself and you're an athlete, go do it. J.J. Watt reported, uh, source, uh, I'm signing with the Arizona Cardinals. Source is me. I thought that was pretty funny on Twitter, guys. Uh, did, I didn't have Cardinals on my list here of teams that I thought he was going to go to. I was thinking Pittsburgh. I was thinking Green Bay as I kicked my desk. Uh, Alex, how much of a surprise are you thinking he's going to the Cardinals? Uh, yeah, I think it is a little bit of a surprise, but hey, I mean, if you're the Cardinals, why wouldn't you want to take a chance on someone like this? I mean, he's a guy that's been one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL. Now he hasn't been quite the, the level player the last couple of seasons, but if you get, I mean, if you get what you think you can get out of J.J. Watt, I mean, and he returns and is motivated by being on a new team and all those different things and is healthy, uh, you know, this is a dangerous player and, and this is going to be a challenging uh, force to, to pluck into the NFC West. I mean, if you, if you're the 49ers or the Seahawks or the Rams, uh, you're on that, that Rams offensive line. I don't know if, I don't know if Corbett would draw his, his, his assignment, but somebody next to him will, you know, he's going to be, they're going to be dealing with JJ Watt here for the next couple of years. Chris, does this uh, do anything when it comes to changing the power of the NFC West or are the Rams with, you know, Stafford and Russell Wilson, if he still, if he sticks around, in Seattle, I've heard that, yeah, he's staying. He's No, he's not going. The Niners are, are kind of in a tailspin. But uh, does this change the power at all? I think all four of these teams are pretty similar. They're all playoff potential teams. I think when you look at Watt's decision, he clearly went for the money and not for the best Super Bowl uh, champion uh, caliber team. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I would go for the money as well. I think the other thing is he's on the other side of Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones is one of the best pass rushers in the league. J.J. Watt was double teamed more than anybody last year. He got to the quarterback a lot. He didn't rack up a lot of sacks, only five and a half. Now he'll have a lot more single teams because you have Chandler Jones on that other side. But between those two, uh, you have Nick Bosa with the 49ers. You have Aaron Donald with the Rams. And I can see why Russell Wilson's trying to get out of Seattle because he's going to get pounded a lot next year. Uh, probably the best division in the entire NFL. And it just gets stronger adding J.J. Watt, who, if healthy, is a very good player. That's the big question. Can he stay healthy over 16 games, which he really hasn't been able to do over the last half decade? But, um, no, I still think that the Rams and the Seahawks are better than the Cardinals. The 49ers, it comes down to whether Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy and good. If everybody is healthy in that uh, division, I still put the, the Cardinals fourth. I don't think that they're as good as those other three teams because the quarterback play at those other three teams tends to be better. But if Kyler Murray can continue to ascend and make a big jump, I can see why J.J. Watt would look at this team and be like, okay, it could be a playoff team. I don't know if it's winning a Super Bowl, but I can help this team get to the next level. You have great weather year-round. This is a guy who's used to playing in Houston, so he probably, uh, you know, that's maybe a factor for him. And I do think that the fact that Chandler Jones is on the other side, you know, he probably sees that as a bit of a fountain of youth to be able to get him to be a little bit more productive and getting sacks because he's not going to be facing the kind of offensive line shifting to his side that he's seen the last couple of years with the Texans. Well, and he did so much for the city of Houston, and I'm sure that's going to continue there in Tempe um, when it came to uh, relief efforts. J.J. Uh, Watt has raised so much money there. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I want to give him some credit, too, of, as to what he's been up to. Um, he did create a, a fund uh, through half a million dollars in it uh, for his hometown of Chico, that uh, all the businesses there that are suffering because of COVID. He doubled that to a million dollars. This is coming on the heels of 2018 after the the fires up in Butte County where he donated a million dollars there uh you know I mean people may go well I mean he makes that much money the guy's still donating two million dollars out of his own pocket to help people and uh Alex you, you gotta say kudos to that yeah there's no doubt I mean it, it takes 
like you said, it's still a million dollars. A million dollars is a million dollars. And um, I think that's an awesome thing for him to do. And, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't always have the best reputation in certain circles, but you know what, like when it comes down to trying to help people and, and do those kinds of things, he is, he has done this a few times. And I think that you have to look at that and, and really give him kind of that tip of the cap. And, and, you know, you, you uh, you'd like to see more professional athletes do stuff like this, yeah. that really have this kind of wealth you know, to give back to their communities. And many of them do, many of them do, but this is a great kind of role model situation, you know, and, and hopefully a lot of other uh, professional athletes and, and folks that have that, these kind of funds, you know, can follow suit and, and uh, you know, make this kind of a trend. Got about 30 seconds left here, Chris. I don't want to miss your thoughts on, on Rogers, but yeah, I think this ought to be a challenge. I mean, if you're Rogers, challenge your teammates, challenge other, other people. Hey, let's help small businesses. If, I mean, we do take out Tuesday and we go out, and even if we're, you're, it's a small meal, you're helping a small business. Yeah, he's helping 80 businesses. And I think that's huge for those local businesses. They've been the ones most affected. The big box chains have been fine during the pandemic and have grown their wealth. The small businesses are the ones that have struggled. And if a rich NFL quarterback can give them a hand up, I'm all for that. Also, some late-breaking news that just happened right now. Kyle Van Noy, McQueen High, getting uh, released by the Dolphins. And that's why I say go get the money when you can get the money. This is a guy who signed like a five-year deal worth $38 million with Miami last year. And now they release him to save some cap space, even though he played well this last season, his first with Miami. So, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll land on his feet, but probably uh, not expected after he signed such a long-term deal with the Dolphins. That's interesting news. I'm going to have to do some more research and dig in here uh, during the commercial break. Uh, coming up next here on NSN Daily, is Alabama out of its mind when it comes to having 100,000 people at a football game this far? This fall? We'll, uh, we'll kick it around. Okay, we're running out of time. Alabama's announced that they want to have 100,000 people in the stands this fall for football. Chris, <laughs> quick thoughts. I think there's a long time to go before we know whether that's going to happen. I think the SEC pushed really, really hard to have football played this last fall, and I think it worked out really, really well. Of course, they're going to want 100,000 fans, but a lot of things can change both positively and negatively before we actually get the games in September. I think they'll do everything in their power to make it happen, right? Like, they probably will. You know, you would think that they're going to try everything they possibly can. It'll be interesting to see if it, if it, if it works out. I mean, that would be, that'd be pretty nuts, but it would be pretty awesome. It'd be awesome and kind of crazy. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but We'll see how it plays out. There were plenty of times I saw football and uh, it looked like there were 60,000 people in the stands uh, with no masks. So uh, we'll see what happens there. We'll be right back to wrap things up right after this. That'll do it for us here today on NSN Daily. We are out of time for more. Uh, just go to the website. That's nevadasportsnet.com. For Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, and Anthony Resnick, directing behind the scenes, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks for being with us. We will see you next time.